Welcome to Lithium Ion Rocks, Season 1, Episode 12. A new star alliance is born. Alliance Minerals, Galaxy Resources, Jiangxi Special Electric Motor Company. We had a good opportunity to catch up with Mark Calderwood uh, on the immediate aftermath of his deal with Galaxy and Jiangxi. Uh, but there's been a lot of news in the market and a bunch of writings that Roddy and I have done. So we also discuss his note on Albemarle's quarterly results. I comment as well on Livent and uh, a note I wrote, Material Girl Like a Virgin, which contained an update for the Mr. Lithium Bull Market Scoreboard. We comment on lack management changes and Ganfeng and Tangxi rights offering and other capital raises. From a timing perspective, I think Galaxy's done extremely well buying into this. My rough valuations, depending on a number of things, but on some reasonably conservative assumptions, and we'll see if those hold, is that, uh, in my view, and it always comes with the uh, Surgeon General and the caveat warning of do your own research, but I'd say that a fair value would be somewhere in the region of 40 cents in 2021, so pretty much near double where it is now. Um, so I thought it was an extremely astute move from Galaxy and from the from the JV partner in uh, in China, and um, we shall see with the confirmation of an expanded resource and reserve if there's any sort of more strategic move. I think it could become very attractive given that the the, the, the very cheap capex that it would take to expand production uh, substantially if there's uh, if there's demand. Mark, our listeners may not be that familiar with Alliance, uh, but you wrote a book and uh, have been called Mr. Pegmatite. If you could talk about your your background in lithium and and how you kind of came into this project, the progress, if we can compare yourselves to Altura and Pilbara, your performance has been outstanding. Give a little bit about your background, the history of Bald Hill, um, and then the current status. Okay, thanks, Howard. Um, yeah, so the um, my history goes back with the pegmatites, so, which is the hard rock source of, 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 of lithium. My uh, interest uh, 20, 30 years ago in, in pegmatites was mainly towards Tantalum. And uh, when, the, when the lithium uh, took over Tantalum as, as a key, the key product that people were chasing from pegmatites, I remembered Bald Hill as being a spodumene-rich pegmatite that was being mined for Tantalum, and that's how we took it, this project quickly into production. It was uh, the Tantalum mine was on care and maintenance. We started drilling in in late 2016 for lithium, first time that that project had been drilled for lithium, and by the following June we had a resource, we had a PFS, and we started construction. The, the, the old body at Bald Hill is very forgiving. It's a very coarse, clean spodumene, and that, that enabled us to, to only spend $30 million on the plant, and from that we'll be able, we're able to produce a very nice concentrate, and, and, and the, the plant ramped up uh, well beyond nameplate very quickly. So it was a, a uh, the plant was built by Palmiro based on the back of uh, – Similar sort of all bodies down at Catlin that enabled us to have confidence that the plant was going to work, and uh, we produce you know a really nice product, and we still produce a tantalum as a byproduct. 
we were able to take this production from 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 a first resource into production in about nine months, which is pretty unusual for a project in, of any type in Australia. And how much money in total has been raised and invested uh, to get to where you are today? Capex, uh, the capex was about seventy million dollars for the project, including some pre-strip. But we, we're still pre-stripping as we go. Are we spending free free cash on on pre-stripping to open up the pit? Because these are fairly much flat-lying pegmatites, you really have to invest some money to pre-strip them. We've probably invested a hundred million into the project, which still makes it fairly low capex compared to some of the other lithium projects that have come on in in recent years. And these are Aussie dollars, just uh, you, you speak in. Yeah, Aussie yeah, that, that's right, Aussie dollars. Mark, there've been lots of announcements coming through uh, from Alliance recently. Uh, can you tell us? A little bit more about the hydroxide JV and uh, when you're hoping to finalise the terms and, and what those terms might look like. Uh, yes, Rodney, the, um, the the agreement should be completed in the next 30 days or so. It's, it's well advanced. What we have is a pretty simple joint venture. There's some free capacity in one of the trains. There's an unused train at the plant, the newly constructed plant in China. At in Yishang, Jungti plant. What we will do is feed spodumene to the plant and, and we'll charge the joint venture at cost. They will charge the conversion costs at cost. No capital will be included in the joint venture. They, each company carries its own capital costs. We, we sell together, we, we, we sell the hydroxide and or carbonate. We share the margin equally. It's a pretty straightforward, very quick. We'll, we'll be in hydroxide production this year. And it'll take a while to ramp up the plant. We should see it hit its straps at the second half of uh, next year. So it'll take 12 months to, from from the start of commissioning to getting it up to full speed. Could you describe uh, your partner, Jangsi, a bit? And uh, if I remember looking back you know, two, three years ago when you first announced him as a partner, there was Burwell in there, but, uh, but Jangsi, you know, was a little pitolite, um, you know, producer. Just to describe... Outside of kind of general lithium and, and Ganfeng, uh, the, the world of lithium is not that familiar with with your partners. Jiangxi is Chinese listed non SOE company. So it's a public company. It's got a, it's got a market cap of about two billion Australian equivalent. Uh, so not not large, but not small. It's been um, converting lipidolite since about 2012. We're the only source of spodumene they have, and they've been converting our spodumene since about October last year. They built all the buses in Yishang, are all built by them. They do electric cars. They specialise in, in advanced metals too. They own a German subsidiary that makes wind farms and special uh, electronic equipment. They also own a subsidiary in Japan, a future car maker in, in uh, Scandinavia. They have one plant, smaller plant, that produce, has an LCE equivalent production rate of about 5,000 tonnes per annum. And then they just just back in September, October, they built a very large, one of the biggest in the world, plant that has capability of between 30 and 35,000, 40,000 tonne capacity LCE. And it's pretty much a state-of-the-art uh, plant because uh, it's a very low emissions because anything built in the more recent times has to be pretty squeaky clean. So it's, it's a, it's a zero-emissions plant, essentially, and, and quite modernised. When uh, are we likely to see the ramp-up in production for the JV and uh, what is the availability of, of spodium and concentrate like from Alliance? For the joint venture, we've, we've predicted about 10, up to 13,000 tonne of spodumene supply. So 
you divide that by roughly seven. So it won't build it won't for this calendar year. It won't so it won't produce much this calendar year. A couple of thousand ton of of hydroxide. Next year we expect it to be about fifty percent utilization of the plant of uh, of its full capacity. So we'll we'll, we'll feed about fifty thousand ton of spodumene to the joint venture. So not not big numbers. It, it, it works out to about twenty percent of our production profile. But 2021 is a lot different. We should be able to get this up to 100 or 120,000 tonnes of feed producing uh, in the order of 15,000 tonne or more of hydroxide. Um, given our high-grade concentrates, we might be able to squeeze it closer to 20,000 tonne if we, if, we, uh, if we do well. So reasonably, uh, it takes a long time. Any of these plants take a long time to get them fully Commission. That's 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 the nature of the beast. Beast for these conversion plants to get them fully certified takes a long time. And to get them fully ramped up, fully battery grade certified, it takes you know it takes at least twelve months, up to eighteen months to get them up to full run rate. At the same time, we're, we're still feeding the JBJ joint venture, which is the one between Burwell and uh, Junction, and that, and that that takes anywhere between one hundred and one hundred forty thousand tonne per year, uh, seller's choice, our choice of how much we feed them. On that note, uh, how is the company currently placed regarding offtake for the balance of the available SC6? So we have about 80,000 tonne available over the top of those numbers for for next year and, and this, or less for this year now, of course, because we're partway through the year. But we have about 80,000 tonne free. We're advanced discussions with a couple of parties who want that. And probably want more. You know, next year's production rate of 240,000 tonnes is as it stands now, but we'll, I think we'll be looking at uh, ramping that up uh, based on demand. The good thing about Bald Hill is an easy mine to, it's an easy plant to ramp up production. It's, a, it's the lowest capex DMS plant uh, per tonne of concentrate. So it's a really, really um, low cost. We're doubling the plant throughput at the moment for about $15, $16 million. And that's all thanks to the fact that it's uh, DMS? It's DMS and it's forgiving metallurgy. So we get good recovery from our DMS. We, we probably get amongst the best recovery rates and and the, and the we crush very coarse. We're actually crushing at 18 millimetres to get that good recovery. So it's, it's just forgiving metallurgy. And there's a couple more of those potentially in the pipeline and around the world that will be a bit like more like Bald Hill. But Bald Hill's the standout in, in Western Australia in terms of metallurgy. Which ones in the world are you talking about? Well, I know, that, I believe the Sigma one in, in Brazil is probably be pretty good. The Piedmont one, I believe it's probably similar. Generally, the bigger, the wider the deposit, the more I tend to find them a little bit more metal, from what I've seen, a little bit more metallurgically challenging. The narrower the pegmatites tend to be a little bit uh, better behaved. But that's a, very much a generalisation. Will the strategic placement of the 32.5 million Aussie be sufficient to grow the resource and the reserve to greater than 20 years mine life? No, but we won't need any drains anymore for exploration. Exploration expenditure is about 700,000 a month, so we'll spend 7 million over the next 10 months. Uh, by, by the end of this year, we'll be generating a fair bit of cash flow out of the plant. So it, it, it covers our capital spend requirements and our expiration spend requirements up to the end of the year. Once that the upgrade happens, our costs will drop off sufficiently and we'll have 
yeah, we'll be back into de- we'll be into decent cash flow. So, is the expectation that the quality of ore that will be drilled out in the exploration program will be consistent with the current mine? Yes. So so far, what we're seeing is um, in that new area, the 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 pegmatite west three area. That's all very coarse spodumene. Even in the eastern area, it's all pretty good, good, nice spodumene. So it seems to be quite coarse throughout at Bald Hill. Alliance has got uh, around $40 million of, of quite expensive debt. Do you see yourselves uh, paying that off in the near term? Possibly. There's a few banks starting to um, starting to approach us now. Uh, if, we can, if we can show a bit more track record, we're almost one year of commercial production now. So at the end of this quarter will be one year, and once we, sh- we, sh- we show that track record, it will be a lot easier to get cheaper finance and, and look at refinancing that, that debt. Otherwise, we'll just pay it off, but we start paying that off uh, by mid-next year, and it gets paid off fairly, fairly quickly based on next year's cash flow. So either we'll pay it off, uh, we won't sit on it for long, uh, or we'll just refinance with something that's a bit more uh, palatable. The announcement of the uh, strategic equity placement uh, had no mention of board seats attached uh, to the largest buyer, which was Galaxy. What is your uh, relationship with them? So, Galaxy, that's, that's correct. There's no board seat uh, attached to that placement. We, we've always often shared notes over the years. We welcome their experience in the sector. They know a fair bit. Uh, we also know a fair bit now, So, we, and, and, and so does John Key. So, between the lot of us, we, we, we will share notes a bit because... In this market, you really you really need the knowledge and and the customer knowledge, etc. So we get on them pretty well. We, we're very much like-minded. We'll be leaning on them for inf- uh, for their experience that they can bring to the table. We, we certainly um, welcome them as a shareholder. Assuming that uh, Spodgeman concentrate prices hold, and you sign another offtake partner, is Alliance now sufficiently funded that you won't need any further cash raise? Yeah, so I'd be, um, I'd say that that's correct. We won't be looking for more equity. We have enough. This will take us through to get our capital capital works done. If these other off takers offer us any prepayments, we might look at those. But I don't think uh, equity is too palatable anymore. I think we wanted to do a, a decent chunk and 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 get it dead dead and buried. After this raise, how much does Galaxy own and and Jiangxi? Galaxy will own 11.8%. Jiangxi will own about 9 Burwell, who are the partners that originally signed the contract with us, the, the, the Hong Kong uh, trading house, they own about 6 just under 6%. So, you know, really, we have two parties that have arguably blocking stakes. If, if, if um, um, someone wants to, to, to try and do something. So, you know, because we've got this... We haven't proven up our exploration potential and the resource potential. Um, once we do that, um, we don't want to be t- taken out taken out before we uh, can, can get some value for shareholders. Right. So the stock, uh, actually, I don't even have it in front of me. The market cap is is what today? There about 300, I guess. Yeah, they're about 300. Much of last year, you were kind of 50-50, and then you, you merged. So now investors in Alliance on either Singapore or Australia are, are accessing uh, – I'm sorry, you said 
300 plus million. I have a, a, a Canaccord research note which has you on 2020 EBITDA of about 100 million Aussie. Um, I don't know if you want to comment on, on whether or not you think that's realistic. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's probably a little bit smaller than that. But you know, it's it next year it starts to this year we spend everything we earn essentially, and next year the 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 benefits start to come home to roost. So yeah, our market cap. And the reason our market cap, I believe, is is low relative to our our um, our potential ca- even a cash flow next year is that it's a res- all about resource life. We're we're one of the shorter mine lives of. Obviously, parties out there, and and that's because we really only did one year of drilling, and 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 we have a lot of drilling ahead of us, and I believe we can continue to grow the resource. And that was what Reserve. I was saying earlier in this uh, at, at the outset of the podcast. Whereas most uh, companies drill, you know, a sizable resource, they know to get to a certain size. You, with all of your experience uh, in pegmatites, uh, knew what was there, and even with the short mine life, just focused on kind of getting that funded it into production with the speed that you did and now are in the process of, you know, lengthening that, that mine life. So I, I do think, yeah, mine life and the downstream strategy were the two, um, you know, kind of outstanding questions on Alliance in addition to the complexity of the, the merger and, and the, uh, the past ownership, et, et cetera. But it, it now seems with, with Galaxy, with strong Chinese, you know, partners and reasonable float out there um, that, uh, you know, that, that as, as, a, as a, a stock, right, you know, everyone knows Pilbara, uh, they know the Kidman story, you know, Altura a bit, uh, you know, I feel Alliance um, is less well-recognized, certainly on a, a North American uh, perspective. I have a couple more questions on price as well. Canaccord mm-hmm. um, has forecasted your price, I think, for this year, 776, uh, 2020, 695, mm-hmm. 2021, 693. These are higher prices than their average forecasted price and um, I, I presumably that's uh, the quality differential uh, if you could talk about quality has, has been a, a very um, you know underappreciated in the past but uh, significantly appreciated now um, dynamic given that that, that that the pricing has fallen but uh, there's wide disparity based on quality so you could talk about yeah it's that becoming it's becoming a big thing now. As as the margins of the converters are getting squeezed, they are now looking to 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 the amount of fines. They don't like too much fines. They don't like too much moisture. The chemistry of the product concentrate. You know the, the amount of lithia and the iron and potassium is a nasty one uh, if you're making hydroxide. So, it, it, and 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 the Bald Hill is probably the best mix of everything. We've got a very coarse product. We don't have any fines in our product. We have very low water content, very low iron, very low uh, mica, and very low potassium. So on a worldwide basis, we're probably selling the best product in the world at the moment, and we're probably getting amongst the best price too. Uh, but I think more and more, as the bigger companies come into the sector, and we're talking to some pretty big ones, uh, they are particularly fussy about their uh, – uh, their, they don't want to be spending too much money on trying to clean up the – for, for for absolute premium quality hydroxide, I guess, which is where the customer, the end customer, ultimately wants 
more and more and more, and and uh, they got to pay for the better product, I believe, uh, particularly as the margins are tight. Okay, great. And uh, you mentioned your, I noticed your uh, Jiangxi is going to fund out of their German subsidiary, you mentioned. Uh, a dynamic in the market over the last several years has been um, you know, Chinese uh, availability of, of capital and capital controls, et cetera. Uh, you know, some companies like you know, Tangxi managed to get $4 billion for SQM, you know, and then other companies, uh, you know, have to do Hong Kong listing or, or, or finding it difficult to, to raise capital. Can you comment on any of that dynamic? In yes. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly for, for investments, there's restrictions on, on, on the amount of money they can move around. If it's buying spodumene, it's not a problem. But, yeah, it is, it is tight for some people. And, um Equity placements are hard. That's why they use the German subsidiary, I believe, uh, um, um, as a as a vehicle to to, to hold the, the initial shareholding they have, which is about six six percent. Um, they had initially that they used. It, um, they might use an Australian subsidiary for the next one, I believe. Um, uh, we also may even do some things together in Australia down the track. So uh, it may not all be in China in the future. So there's been a few loose discussions around that point as well. Do you, could you discuss that? I mean, the evolution of this space, right? Today, as we sit here today, 100% of the world's conversion capacity is in China. Uh, a number of converters mm -hmm. are being built in Australia, and um, and Quebec is a, is a different story. But but how do you see this evolving, uh, this carbonate, this hydroxide? You had mentioned something about an interim kind of sulfate uh, ideas. Um, if you could just talk a little yes. bit about how you see the yeah, we're doing a bit of scoping scoping work at the moment, and it seems that I mean, we'll, Western Australia will have arguably the two or maybe three biggest hydroxide plants in the world will be in WA. Um, some of our customers, uh, potential customers, have expressed uh, interest in lithium sulfate or something similar. So an intermediate product, and, and the advantage of that is you don't have to worry about the hydroxide shelf life. It enables them to take it to Japan or, or Korea or China and, and actually and, and dissolve it and take it up to hydroxide that they need, quality that they actually want for their particular battery or whatever other chemistry they want to make. And, and it's a lot easier for us because we don't have to worry about getting rid of any any nasty um, you know, potassium sulfates or, or, or sorry, sodium sulfates or any other uh, those chemicals, which which you can sell in Asia fairly easily, you sell it into into the market. But in Australia, we're a fair way from that market, so we're looking at maybe thinking a little bit out of the box and ask the customers what they're after, and and um, rather than try and make battery grade hydroxide ourselves, um, try and compete with those bigger guys that are doing it. We might be looking for something a little bit more more niche. That's the price of lithium sulfate. That'll be the devil of the detail. So we have to find out what that, what it vary, what the variability will be between a clean one and maybe one that's carrying a little bit of chemistry in it. It's too early to tell yet what the pricing is and whether that's that's economic. But there's it with the increasing difficulties of environmental approvals in places like China and Korea. It, it's certainly a and space and land issues in those places, expensive land. And, and distant from the port, they are fairly attracted to someone that can, can take it part of the way for them. How should we be looking at 
at Alliance. I think you said 300,000 tons of spodumene by 2021. Initially, it's 240,000 tons next year, so 20,000 ton a month. If the customers uh, want 2021 increases for 2021, then we'll look at taking it beyond 240 to the, you know the next logical step, which is 300 or, or, or 360,000. And of that 240,000, how much of spodumene is connected to the hydroxide joint venture? Um, next year, it only represents about 25, 30% of our production. Early 2021, we should, we should be going up to about 40% would be hydroxide. What is your, uh, I guess, offtake pricing mechanism? At the start of this year, we, we shifted from the fixed price uh, to, a, to a formula-based pricing. Uh, the formula that we currently use is a carbonate one, but we, we will have a mixture of hydroxide and carbonate going forward. We're in the mid-sevens. We're over mid-sevens last quarter. We're, this quarter, we should be around close to the mid-sevens. It's not a bad pricing, but it is. It will change with with carbonate and hydroxide pricing uh, quarterly on quarterly basis as we go forward. And what are your all in costs? For the last quarter, I think it was about five uh, eighty five cash. Um, that's without counting the royalty. So even though we get mid seven hundreds on the royalty, we lose five percent royalty in, in West Australia to the government. But so our cash costs low to to mid fives. This year, U.S., and going down to, to the low fours next year. The Galaxy management team are actually quite good deal makers and creators of shareholder value. One mid-tier, you know, joining another mid-tier there's a lot of skill sharing uh, that, that came through in the interview with Mark Calderwood. Everybody talks, you know, in Western Australia, you know, they both use Primero, right? So there, there, there are synergies there. So I just think this is an astute move by Galaxy. Uh, Mark Calderwood Alliance had an unusual path to production. Successful. If you look at the ramp ups between Pilbara and Altura and then the quality of the product and the price that, that Alliance is getting, you know, hats off to them. I have not been a fan of Alliance for a, a large amount of time over the last kind of three years, but I, I put them uh, very much on, on watch list um, because of their downstream hydroxide plan. Um, they're, they're good partnership now. And uh, the high likelihood of, of resource expansion. <laughs> did a review, uh, I put it up on Seeking Alpha on Albemarle's uh, first quarter of 2019 lithium segment results. And uh, yeah, the net sales were down 2%, but um, they had warned about a production disruption with rains in the cellar de Atacama and some qualification delays at uh, Genu 2 and currency movements. But overall, I think one would have to acknowledge that their long-term offtake contracts have saved the day as far as EBITDA margins and pricing for their carbonate and hydroxide production. Uh, some of the key things that they mentioned uh, that I, I thought were really important is China, you know, industrial-grade carbonate prices are at break-even levels for non-integrated, you know, independent converters, and that reconfirms what Lavin said. Uh, more importantly, they said, you know, Wajina spodumene concentrate, which they have 
an interim marketing you know, rights to, even though the deal is not finalized. They said they wouldn't sell that material indiscriminately into the market if demand wasn't supportive. So fears of further spodium concentrate coming out into the market have been alleviated to some extent. Talked about a shift in production of three, three and a half thousand tons to later quarters. But with that said, you know, they made a separate statement, and again, same as Lavin, talking about brown production volumes from all of South America, all the projects as a whole likely to be flat in 2019. So again, further evidence of brines being at the heart of the oversupply, you know, myth, you know, being dispelled again. Uh, they talked about uh, lithium yields program in the Atacama increasing production by 30% targeting half, second half of 2021, and that's without pumping extra brine. We'll wait to see if that comes through. The Kemerton plants uh, on track and uh, the green bushes expansion. But if you look at the pricing metrics and what uh, Albemarle needs as long-term lithium hydroxide prices to justify the Wajina investment of what's likely to be $2 billion for 50,000 tons of nameplate capacity and clearly effective capacity will be lower than that is $14,000 a ton plus. Liven had really... Um bad results uh, in, and what was reflected in that in my mind was uh, Liven had kind of talked about, you know, they had 80% of their contracts, you know, also fixed for this year. So I was very surprised that their commentary about their customers in, uh, in, in Korea and Japan on the hydroxide side were just not, you know, taking the, 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 the product now, you know, whereas Albemarle's were. And it just reflected that Albemarle seems to have better customers, right, or more reliable customers. There were some management changes at Livent uh, following that result. So something clearly is, is not as rosy or clear cut as uh, advertised in the, you know, the IPO the stock is, you know, nearly a one billion market cap. It's uh, it's halved, you know, since its IPO. But one thing I'd like to point out is is Paul Graves made a sustainability argument of Volkswagen and the Hard Rock sustainability, and he basically said he disagrees with their thesis. I guess he's talking his own book. But uh, advantages of brine-based source of lithium carbonate is that it's, it has a smaller carbon footprint. In his opinion, much of the energy we use is renewable, solar and wind, evaporation. There's merit to that argument, and we've been talking. It's, this is not just going to be all brine or all hard rock all the time. Uh, the market needs both. There's been a lot of noise, negative noise, about Chile uh, last year. Uh, I, I think that there's room here potentially for some, some, some positive uh, focus and in particular the, the Maracunga assets, what's happening with lithium power. And that's a very advanced project. It's very high grade. It's at full definitive feasibility study. Chile, from a risk point of view, I think looks a lot less risky than, you know, Argentina. So this is just, that's just one story that I think has been under the radar that uh, investors will take a bit more notice uh, of, you know, in, in, the, in the coming weeks and months. Our, Growth plan is basically $600 million to grow carbonate from 20,000 tons to 60,000 tons. So a 40,000 increase for $600 million is equivalent to $15,000 capital intensity per ton to have the lowest cost carbonate in the world. He thinks that that's a very competitive uh, and compelling 
investment case. And I don't disagree. If he could achieve that, if they could achieve that, then that is a very good outcome. It makes me question, though, all of the pre-feasibility studies in Argentina and other uh, companies that are, uh, you know, suggesting that they could do it also for $15,000 a ton, right? You know, or like how could a green field in Argentina, you know, be less expensive per ton, you know, than the most experienced company, one of the most experienced companies in the industry doing a brownfield expansion? So I would just look, uh, you know, with caution, uh, that we might have some cost increases from PFS or even DFS level Argentine brine stories. In fairness, is sometimes you just can't get the firm pricing until D-Day, but uh, that's fair. Howard, I think uh, when D-Day comes, we'll have to do a reassessment. When I was looking at uh, Lithium Americas with the resignation of Tom Hodgson and the appointment of uh, John Evans, I guess congratulations to both of them, but uh, e even within their quarterly report, they're talking about, okay, they are seeking, um, you know, bids now, right, for long lead time items. Even when companies say that they're fully funded, it's only now that they're spending, you know, real dollars in, in Argentina. I've been very close with uh, Lithium Americas over the years and, and had worked directly with Tom Hodgson. So I just did a quick take. He, the merger between Western Lithium and Lithium Americas happened, I think, in July of 2015. Uh, so about four years since that was announced and I think three and a half years where uh, Tom was actually the CEO. And over that time frame, um, basically Lithium America's stock has doubled. Right, so 100% up in four years, which is which is not bad. Um, I compared it in my most recent Lithium Bull, though, to some hard rock stories like Kidman and Pilbara. Uh, perhaps unfair, but uh, those stocks were up seven times and 21 times. <laughs>so it just it, it, it speaks and if i could speak a little bit about this um short note i wrote called material girl you know like a like a virgin we've gone through uh, various iterations lithium 1.0 in 2009-10 lithium 2.0 in 2016-17 and i think we're setting the stage for a, a lithium 3.0 and I believe there's been a lot of learnings, and uh, but also that companies that have developed projects in the last couple of years that are currently unpartnered, um, I guess called like a virgin, are likely to get better deals than you know their lithium 2.0 or in some cases you know lithium 1.0 brethren. I keep coming back to the keep it simple, stupid. You know, grade matters, technical risk matters, management, sovereign risk. And then Albemarle's, you know, spider web of factors. And then I added my own for a, a Jane and George battery pack kind of checklist. If you have a project that's 20,000 tons a year, you know, for 20 years, you know, preferably hydroxide, but carbonate also okay. It's going to cost five to 600 million CapEx. Again, similar to what Livent is suggesting. Proven conventional technology mining-friendly jurisdiction, tax-friendly jurisdiction, predictable jurisdiction, you know, with a 10 to 20-year view. Um, and if you could be fully ramped into this kind of 2023-2024 forecasted shortfall, um, and I completely agree with you, the, the prices should be $14,000, $15,000. The real question in my mind is who is actually going to get into production and can they produce 
at 6,000 or 5,000, you know, cost, and if you can, you know, very significant margins. Finding non-Chinese assets for non-Chinese demand, uh, you know, with good management, skin in the game, these are attributes that uh, I think are very important, and there's a number of companies on the Mr. Market scoreboard that we talk about, that we write about, you know, that, that's where I'm focused a great deal of my time as an investor is the spectacular returns that are are available, you know, for projects that kind of meet this criteria that could have a Kidman-like, you know, West Farmers event uh, or a mineral resources, uh, you know, Wajina, you know, Albemarle event. <laughs> Once sentiment returns in, in a broad way, which it will, to the lithium space, the leadership will happen in Albemarle. But if you look at the Mr. Market scoreboard, there's a number of stocks that were up, you know, 50 to 80 percent, you know, year to date for a, a Jane and Joe battery pack who doesn't need a huge amount of liquidity. You know, stock picking uh, was was has been very good so far year to date, and I think that will continue in this lithium 3.0. I think it will still be stock selective and it's very important to... Absolutely, Howard. I mean, if you look at the perils and the difficulties of producing a battery grade and OEM qualified hydroxide or carbonate for that matter, you know, it's uh, it's a hurdle that not all are going to meet. Feng and Tangxi, uh, we'll talk about briefly, are both in market. Tangxi did an interview with Henry Sanderson at the FT, you know, kind of talking about market bottoming or it'll stabilize. At the same time, you know, they're in market with a billion-dollar deleveraging exercise in the in the Shenzhen-listed share. They couldn't get the Hong Kong-listed share off. So uh, the Tangxi share, if you look at the Ganfeng share versus the Hong Kong share, um, there's still a very wide discrepancy, but here Tangxi is going to raise money at probably a relatively inflated price on Shenzhen. Um, they've obviously had government support to give them $4 billion in debt, but uh, the institutions in China which own Tangxi, I suspect that there, there's some you know government uh, you know involvement in there as well. But anyway, they're, they're deleveraging... Um, they're in market. We could talk about Tangxi, but most people listening to this actually can't invest in Tangxi. Ganfeng uh, is doing both a convertible bond locally, and they're also doing, I think it's a rights issue in Hong Kong. The Shaoshen and, and Mr. Lee are participating in both, uh, so skin in the game there is good. Uh, I mentioned they're disproportionately investing in the much cheaper-priced equity in Hong Kong than in the convertible in China, but I guess that's their prerogative. Um, that stock is is cheap and similar to Albemarle. They have high volume converting you know, carbonate and hydroxide and the proven record of uh, battery grade. So the, our story, our, both of us have been supportive of Ganfeng, but we knew this past quarter and Q4 were, were unlikely to be, you know, very good. But with spodumene prices a bit lower, 
and with their ramp-ups of their volumes uh, the second half and into next year, I, I think we might start seeing some good things from Ganfeng. With that, I think uh, we can sign off on a- another good podcast, um, Rodney, and uh, we're getting ready, both of us, to kind of come to Chile uh, in the next kind of couple of weeks, but I'm sure there'll be lots of other news between now and then, including SQM's results this week, and we'll be commenting on that. Please look out for us on LinkedIn Seeking Alpha. And very, very, very importantly, we uh, the Lithium Ion Rocks is now on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and Stitcher. It took a long time. We were on a lot of those, but uh, the iTunes, um, you know, we had some sort of uh, coding glitch that uh, took a little bit longer for us to get there. But I'd still encourage all of you to listen on SoundCloud to get the full effect of the lithium ion rocks and you, you'll know what i mean if you if you listen to the soundcloud versus one of the other venues but uh, we, we do know that many of you prefer those others so looking forward to broadening the reach of lithium ion rocks and what i call lithium equity intelligence lithium ion rocks lithium ion bull and through our respective linkedin and twitter posts Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction, to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.